0: This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on influenza. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. Influenza is an acute respiratory tract infection caused by influenza A or B virus. Can cause anything from a mild community outbreak to an epidemic to a pandemic. To tell us more about influenza, we have on the line Professor Kanta Subaro. Kanta is Director of the WHO Collaborating Centre for Reference and Research in Influenza at the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity in Melbourne, Australia. So, Kanta, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking what exactly is influenza?
1: Influenza is an acute-onset respiratory illness, usually accompanied by fever and generalised signs and symptoms including malaise, headache and myalgias. It's caused by influenza viruses and influenza A and B viruses cause seasonal influenza.
0: Thank you. And apart from the symptoms that you've mentioned, are are there any other clinical features of this disease?
1: Yes, there are. Um, so these are the commonest ones, are the um, are fever with a cough and sometimes a sore throat. But people can present with a whole range of clinical symptoms, including gastrointestinal symptoms, which are more commonly seen in young children. Um, they can present with myositis, with rhabdomyolysis, an exacerbation of uh, underlying chronic cardiopulmonary disease as well.
0: Okay, thank you. And to confirm the diagnosis, when might you request tests to do that?
1: So it's recommended that um, testing be done if it is likely to influence clinical management or affect infection control and prevention decisions. So I would say that in outpatients, testing would be recommended For those that are at highest risk for complications of influenza, including immunocompromised hosts, people that present with acute influenza and exacerbation of chronic medical conditions, uh, COPD or asthma, or people presenting with complications. In non-high-risk patients, I would recommend testing only if it's going to affect clinical management, and that would include if Testing for influenza would make it likely that fewer additional tests were done, or antibiotics would not be used, or time in the emergency department was reduced. But for an uncomplicated influenza in an outpatient setting, in an otherwise healthy individual, particularly if influenza circulating in the community, testing would not be required.
0: Okay, thank you. That's really clear. And if tests were required, what tests would would you request?
1: So there are a range of um, diagnostic tests that are available for use um, using respiratory specimens. And so the ones that are most commonly recommended today are rapid molecular assays that depend on amplification of the viral nucleic acid. There are also molecular assays that are done in more traditional um, diagnostic laboratories that would include reverse transcriptase, PCR. And those are the probably the two mainstays in today's world. there were was a time when antigen detection, rapid influenza diagnostic tests based on antigen detection were more prevalent, but they have lower sensitivity than with than the rapid molecular tests do. The rapid molecular assays is what I would recommend.
0: Okay, thank you. And moving on to treatment, what is the mainstay of treatment for most patients?
1: So the the uh, clinical course of uncomplicated influenza is usually a self-limited one. Um, and so in uncomplicated influenza, the mainstay of treatment is really rest, hydration, antipyretics, but not aspirin. But in people that are at risk of complications of influenza, or people who are household contacts of people that are at risk for complications of influenza, the mainstay of treatment would be the use of antiviral drugs. The main category of antiviral drugs that are in use currently are called the neuraminidase inhibitors, and the most common one of those is called called oseltamivir, that is given orally. The recommendations would be to treat as early as possible, and in people that are at risk high risk for complications or people with progressive disease or people that are admitted to hospital already, the uh, recommendation would be to treat as early as possible without even waiting for the results of the tests, especially if influenza is circulating in the community and the clinical diagnosis is likely to be accurate.
0: Okay, thank you. And what's the evidence of effectiveness of, of these, this type of drugs? Is there strong evidence or more, is it more mixed?
1: No, that's a very good question. The evidence for um, the use of, of the neuraminidase inhibitors is somewhat controversial, um, in part because the studies that have been done have been done in uncomplicated influenza. The randomized control trials were done in uncomplicated influenza. And so the, the data from those studies suggests that early use of neuraminidase inhibitors, um, so within 36 hours of uh, onset of illness, the a treatment course of oseltamivir will reduce the duration of illness by one to two days. However, we don't have data from randomized control clinical trials for supporting the use of of oseltamivir in people with complications of influenza so people that are hospitalized or have severe disease there have been a couple of meta-analyses of the the studies and two support the use and one does not so there is controversy
0: okay thank you and you mentioned aspirin is, is best avoided why is that
1: the um Use of aspirin in children with influenza has been associated with Rye's syndrome, which is an acute encephalopathy that we have really not seen since the warnings to not to use aspirin came into play. So it was much more common 20 years ago. And with the recognition that Rye's syndrome was triggered by the use of aspirin in the face of, of influenza, we're not seeing that anymore. But the recommendation is kept in there to remind people not to use aspirin.
0: Okay, thank you. And are isolation measures ever necessary?
1: In an outpatient setting, we would recommend good hand hygiene and good cough hygiene. We would recommend that people stay home from work and stay away from crowded public places essentially because in order to reduce the spread of the virus isolation would be required in inpatient settings and in, H, in residential care facilities where you might have to cohort people that are that have influenza or isolate them to try to reduce the nosocomial spread
0: okay thank you and what about reporting should you report the disease and if so how should you do this
1: That really depends on the country. So generally, laboratory-confirmed influenza is reportable to local or provincial health authorities. But the mechanism by which one does that will vary depending on where you are. So it would be best to check with the local health authorities. Now, how quickly you need to report it will depend on whether the case is identified outside the normal influenza season, or if it's travel-associated, or associated with an animal exposure, or as part of an outbreak.
0: Okay, thank you. That's, that's really helpful. Let's move on to differential diagnosis. What are the differentials, and, and how can you tell influenza from the common differentials?
1: So the most common uh, differential diagnosis is really a common cold, which is caused by rhinovirus, respiratory syncytial virus, adenoviruses, a whole range of viruses, coronaviruses, can cause the common cold. Other differentials would be pharyngitis, which could be caused by viruses that I named before, or bacteria. And a differential diagnosis for pneumonia would include viral and bacterial agents. Probably the, the people that, that we, we consider most frequently how to differentiate flu from influenza from a cold. And that would really, it's the clinical course. So the Sudden onset illness is more commonly seen with influenza than with the common cold. The association with uh, myalgias and headache and body aches is seen with influenza and not with the common cold. Sore throat might be more common with influenza, whereas rhinorrhea, a runny nose, would, would be more common with the cold. There's the prodrome, which is different. And the constellation of clinical signs, the lack of as robust a um, systemic symptomatology, I would argue against a cold and in favor of influenza.
0: Okay, thank you. And what are the common pitfalls in the diagnosis and management of patients with influenza, would you say?
1: So the classical definition of an influenza-like illness is fever with a cough or sore throat. So the commonest pitfalls in the diagnosis would be the fact that there are atypical presentations. The pitfall would be missing, missing influenza as a diagnostic possibility. Infants, for instance, can present with just a fever alone. The elderly may not have fever at all. Immunocompromised hosts could have a very atypical presentation and then people with underlying cardiopulmonary disease could just present with an exacerbation of their illness with or without fever. The commonest pitfall in the diagnosis would be not considering it. Common pitfalls in the management of the disease, again, we're seeing more and more that what is being missed in hospitals are people that are presenting with cardiopulmonary disease exacerbation. And there's a recent paper that showed that sometimes people with presenting with the myocardial infarction, actually have influenza as well. So I think the the key is to think about influenza, particularly when the virus is circulating in the community, and recognize that not all influenza presents with the classic definition of fever with a sore throat and a cough.
0: Okay, thank you. That's, that's very helpful. What other questions do you typically get asked about influenza by doctors, and what are the answers to those questions?
1: So we get asked whether antiviral drugs work. As I said, there's some controversy about um, how well they work in hospitalized people, but they do uh, shorten the course of illness in uncomplicated influenza, though that reduction in the uh, duration of the illness may be modest we get asked whether the vaccine works. The answer is yes, influenza vaccines work. There are currently four strains of influenza that co-circulate around the world, causing a clinically indistinguishable illness from each other. And these are two influenza A viruses and two influenza B viruses. So because the clinical illness is indistinguishable, and because we cannot predict which of these strains is going to dominate or co-circulate in a given season, our vaccines contain representative strains for all four of these. And in some uh, markets, a trivalent vaccine is available with two influenza A strains and one influenza B strains, while in other markets, a quadrivalent vaccine is available. So what we would say is that the um, effectiveness of the vaccine depends upon the age and prior immunity to influenza, and underlying health conditions. In healthy young adults, the effectiveness tends to be about 60%, but we do know that the effectiveness is much less in the elderly. However, also having said that, the effectiveness of the different components varies as well. So the influenza B component and the H1N1 influenza A component tend to be more effective than the influenza A H3 component.
0: Are there any recent advances that healthcare professionals should know about?
1: Yes, probably the most relevant one is the recent approval of a new class of antiviral drugs and they are called polymerase inhibitors. There's one drug that had, called baloxavir that is being marketed as Zofluza that has been licensed for use and has been in use in Japan and was recently licensed in the United States. This is a drug that the mechanism of which is completely different from the neuraminidase inhibitors, and it is given as a single dose, and it is something to watch. There are yet no data published on the combination of oseltamivir with biloxivir, But that might be something that might emerge in the future. The other recent advances that healthcare professionals should know about is this greater recognition of the role of influenza in cardiac presentations, including acute myocardial infarction. We've known for some years that influenza is associated with myocarditis, but the recognition that it is associated with acute MI is also um, worth noting.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, Kanta, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope that you will be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.